1: Hello, this is the Soul Anchor Podcast, and I'm your host, Vidal Moreno. In the Soul Anchor Podcast, we seek to anchor our faith in the truths of the Bible, while we sail across the seas seeking adventures where they can be found. Our previous three episodes have been the first of three parts of a long conversation I had with Dax Stokes, a deacon in an Eastern Orthodox Church. He has been explaining what it is like to be Orthodox, It has been fascinating. If you've not heard the previous three episodes, I invite you to stop this one and go back and listen to those so that you can have the full effect. So tell me a little bit about your church governance. You are a deacon, and a Mm -hmm. a deacon in a Protestant church would be somebody that maybe is over the grounds or the physical aspect of the church, or maybe uh, they're in charge of of, uh, helping meet people's needs monetarily or uh, you know paying their bills or stuff like mm-hmm. that they are the servants. diakonos sure. in, in greek is servant right so t- take me through all the different offices sure. in your church and beyond
2: sure so um there are several ranks of the clergy um in our church the the First um, rank is that of, the, of a reader, um, and these would be things that, where where you're actually set aside, sort of ordained in a way. Um, but uh, the the reader is the first, and that's somebody who is set aside specifically to do the reading in the in the church, um, in the services, uh, reading the psalms, reading the epistle readings, things like that. Um, uh, the next rank, which is the first one where you're actually ordained. By uh, by a bishop, uh, a bishop has to also set aside a reader, but um, the bishop has to do the ordination um, for all of them. Uh, it would be a subdeacon and the subdeacon's role is um, generally it's actually to assist the bishop. So um, this a lot of churches don't have subdeacons, but they're the ones who would would be helping in the altar, um, helping the bishop. um Literally with with things that they need, handing them things, taking care of uh, the bishop's items, whatever that might be. Um, now, and these then, would not
1: be full time positions. These no, are people that would, right. They would have jobs outside. Not it, uh, it, uh, it, it in
2: it, is, here in the United States, yes. <laughs> now, in uh, somewhere like Russia, maybe maybe they have their full time or something. Um, but uh, here, yes, yeah. Uh, and then you would have um, the next rank. The, those those two are what we call minor clergy. Um, mainly, um, canonically as a reader, you can, um, uh, you're, you're not ordained yet, so you can still get married or anything you need to do. Um, as a subdeacon in most traditions and in the canons of the councils, um, you have to be married before you are ordained, um, to be a subdeacon. So once you're made a subdeacon, generally you can't get married after that. Um, if, uh, there can be exceptions made. But generally, that's the rule. Um, and then the major clergy roles would be that of the deacon, um, which would be next. Uh, the deacon for us serves two roles, generally. Um, one as that servant, like you were describing, who, um, yes, they could be in charge of the alms for the church. They might be uh, help the priest do visits to the sick or um, shut-ins, things like that. Um, but there are other uh, – or they may teach classes – um, catechisms or whatever. Um, and then the other role they have though is actually as, uh, or uh, a dual role in the services themselves, um, as one to lead the people in prayer. So, um, those petitions I mentioned earlier, if, if there is a deacon serving, um, they were the ones who will lead the people in those, in those prayers and those petitions. Um, that's kind of the deacon's role. And then the other part of the deacon's role is to assist the priest, um in whatever way they need. Um so it'd be to assist the priest in preparing the the gifts for the communion, helping give communion out or things like that. And they they kind of assist the priest and the bishop during a service. Um so those are the that's kind of the roles of the deacon. Um then we have the priest or the presbyters uh um in in the church and presbyter is the Greek word that we would use and elder. Um, Right. Yes. And so the uh, the priest is there to um teach the faith in in a local church. Um he's the he's the teacher, he is uh the um the one who is set aside to perform the sacraments or the mysteries, so the priest is the one who can perform weddings and baptisms, um, you know, who does does confessions who um does anointing of the sick uh and and does leads the services a priest can serve services by himself um, a deacon cannot so a deacon can only serve when there is a priest present um but a priest can serve by himself um because it's, it's more common deacons are still not super common in in america yet we're, we're getting to have more and more um but a lot of churches still don't they're are many churches with no deacons in the United States, but you can have uh, you can have a, just a priest, uh, and that's more common. So the priest is the one who performs the services. Um, the, only the priest can consecrate the gifts for communion. Um, a, a deacon can't do that part. A deacon can distribute it, um, but only with the priest's permission. So everything is the priest is the one who locally um, has all of the you know the rights to do everything and the, the kind of the power over over the the serving of the services, kind of running the church. So the, the same job as basically any any pastor or preacher would have. Um, but then over the priest is the bishop, and the bishop um, is there to um, kind of oversee uh, an, a geographic area of churches, um, which we would call a diocese. And um, generally you should have one bishop per city um, and who oversees all of the, all of the local churches in America're spread out in so many ways. Our, our bishop is actually the bishop of the entire South, from Virginia to New Mexico. <laughs> and, um, and so it's, it's kind of a bigger, but they, they ordain the clergy. So a priest can't ordain a deacon or anything. A, a bishop has to do all ordinations. And um, they do that through apostolic succession. So, just like the Roman Catholic Church has apostolic succession, uh, the Orthodox Church does too. Um, any bishop can tell you which apostle their succession goes back to. Oh, wow. Um, it's, you know, the records, they, they know um, they, they can follow that. And it takes three bishops to, to ordain another bishop. So, that's this, I, the aposto- um, any church that, uh, one of the ways that you can tell a canonical church is if they, if they have apostolic succession. Um, you know that can tie them back to the apostles because we know that the apostles ordained certain you know we know that Peter um was succeeded by this person or Paul was succeeded by you know the various right. bishops that were set up where James was the first bishop of Jerusalem, so those things are you know we can look at the lineage there um so the the bishop is there to uh instruct people in the faith um the bishop is the kind of the final word for a diocese or for a priest. Um, And they are the one who kind of makes, uh, you know, any kind of difficult decisions that need to be made or, um, you know, in deciding on the administrative structure. Um, And then our church is built on a, a synodal structure. So we have our bishop, our local bishop, and then, Um, he together with the other bishops make up a synod and um, any kind of major decisions for that larger church area than are made by the synod, um, which has a chairman that's either um, an archbishop or metropolitan, which is just another type of bishop or um, in the older, bigger countries, a patriarch Mm -hmm. and our churches are, one of a few different types you can be an autocephalous church which is completely self-ruling subject to to no other churches you can be autonomous which means you're self-ruling but you're still part of a bigger autocephalous church um or you can just be a diocese or something that's that's tied to another church or an extension of a larger autocephalous church so Depending on who you ask in the world, um, there are fourteen or fifteen autocephalous Orthodox churches and wow. uh, um, those uh, those are based on the original um, Pentarchy which would the original five churches which were Rome, um, Constantinople, Alexandria, mm-hmm. Antioch, and Jerusalem, um, yeah. with uh, Rome. Uh, in the early church being the seat of primacy and we use the usually the the, um, the phrase uh, first among equals. Uh, right. So each each patriarch was equal, but if they needed a chairman, it would, it would always be the Pope of Rome. Um, until the schism happened, then that seat of primacy went to Constantinople and um, the patriarch of Constantinople, who we call nowadays the ecumenical patriarch um uh, is is has that seat of primacy if all of the patriarchs are meeting or something or all the primates of an autocephalous churches are meeting together um, constantinople would have the seat of primacy um but after uh jerusalem so we have constantinople alexandria antioch jerusalem um there are the other major churches russia Georgia, Serbia, Romania, um, Albania, Greece, Cyprus, uh, the Czech Republic, Poland. Um, All of these are autocephalous churches as well. Some have patriarchs, some have bishops. Um, And then depending on whether you ask a a Greek or a Russian, um, there's a 15th autocephalous church, which is the Orthodox Church of America, um, which is my church, which is what I'm a part of. And, um, the Orthodox Church of America has a, a, a history that we, we were, it was granted autocephaly by Russia in 1970, um, but that autocephaly is not recognized by some of the Greek churches. Um, and it's, 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 it's a political kind of thing, but, uh, basically, so that means in America we still have 14 or 15 separate jurisdictions of Orthodox churches, um, because America is considered, uh by one of the canons of the fourth council of barbarian land, (laughs) (laughs) which means there's no, um, there's no uh, national church already established here. Uh So um, all churches um, and nobody has really made a major claim. So all churches right now have jurisdictions in America. It wasn't like that before the Russian revolution, Um, before the revolution, all Orthodox people in America were subject to Russia. Um, Mm -hmm. Once the revolution happened and ties were cut, um, everybody started going home to their own country for, for priests. So then you started getting priests from Greece and from um, Turkey, like all these different ethnic Serbia, all these coming to America and then their bishops would send people and they would go back home for things. And so we started getting all these jurisdictions. So in America right now we have jurisdictions that are all in communion with each other. Um, but we have our own sets of bishops. Um and so the, the the major issue is that we have some cities with multiple bishops when and there are some cities with no bishops. So in the South, um we have two bishops in Miami, um, you know, and uh one in Atlanta, but none in anywhere else, you know, they're not spread out. They could, you know. So it's it gets a little tricky, but that's how we are governed is by synods of bishops um, that are either autocephalous, which means they can make their own decisions, they can create their own bishops, they do everything on their own, or they are part of another church that reports back to, you know, be it Russia or Greece or Turkey, to the Constantinople Church in Turkey, or to Serbia or wherever. But there is an Orthodox Church of America, and that's, that's our church. We are... We are a Russian-based church, um, but we are fully autocephalous in that we have our own bishops, and we do most of our services in English and things like that.
1: When was the last time all the bishops got together for a big powwow?
2: Actually, they do it every year.
1: Um, so uh, every, every individual church
2: um, has their bishops meet usually a couple times a year. Um, our bishops here, in the Orthodox Church of America, we have 12 they are meeting next week, actually. Uh, but once a year, all of the bishops in the United States, all Orthodox bishops, there's about 55 to 60 of them, they they meet once a year um, in an attempt to try to create some kind of American unified church. Um, but mm-hmm. it's a long it's a long process. America is still a young country. It takes I think it took the Church of Russia 500 years to become autocephalous from its founding in in 1988. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So. You know Vladimir's mass baptism in the in the tenth century it was another four or five hundred years before the church was declared autocephalous so We're we've, still got, barbaric. we've
1: got we've got time to think to work on it yeah, <laughs> yeah. so when was the last time there was a bishop uh, a meeting of bishops from all over the world um so there that's
2: a great question they the primates can meet Um, if there is a necessity and right now there is um, many of us see a necessity for the primates to meet, Um, whether it's going to happen or not, we don't know yet, but uh, uh, right now we have sort of a jurisdictional crisis in Ukraine going on, Um, you know, part of, part of its government problems, but uh, they've created some problems in the church there and Russia and, and the Greek churches are, are not getting along very well right now. So there's, um, there's some tension, and, and the bishops, the primates may be meeting about that. But there was, a, there was a council actually scheduled for, I think, two years ago, maybe three years ago, 2016 or 17, I think. I think it was 16. Um, that was supposed to be in Crete. Um, and uh, at the last minute, some of the churches pulled out of it because they didn't like the agenda. And they didn't think that it was being very um, – that, that, that not everybody had had a good say in the agenda and what was going to be discussed. So they wanted to work on it a little bit more before they met. Um, so a couple of churches pulled out. They had it anyway with the churches that were there, but that meant no real decisions were made about anything because there wasn't full representation. Um, so that was, that was for a lot of people. But the primates have met you know, whenever there are issues. They will get all the patriarchs together, um, you know, somewhere to meet, and hopefully they're going to do that soon about Ukraine.
1: And what are the primates again?
2: The primates would be the patriarchs, um, the patriarch.
1: Yeah, or or the head of each each local
2: autocephalous church. So and in America we have we have a, a metropolitan. Right, each church has one.
1: We have okay. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's let's bring this to a close. I've sure. Two last questions. Uh, Number one, let's say I start uh, visiting your church, mm-hmm. and I become intrigued and want to know more, and then finally I say, I want to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. I want to become a member. Uh,
2: so generally, um, we have a couple of different types of people. The first people who would be like what you just described, um, we would call an inquirer, someone who's inquiring about the church. They started coming to some services. Um, they may have read some books. There's some fairly popular standard books that people read. Um, uh, two main ones by a, a bishop at, at Oxford, um, Metropolitan Callistus Ware. He wrote um, two books under the name Timothy Ware back in the '60s. Um, one's called the Orthodox Church. And the other's called the Orthodox Way. A lot of people read those books when they're coming. Um, and so uh, those are people we would call inquirers. And then if they decide that they want to actually be received into the church, either through baptism, if they've never been baptized. Um, well, and that could be tricky. Typically, we will accept baptisms that were um, full immersion in the name of the Holy Trinity. So a lot of churches will qualify for that, you know. Um, but So you um, don't
1: sprinkle. You, you we
2: don't sprinkle. Full Full immersion. So if you had a full, triple immersion baptism you know, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, then that generally will count. Um, well, the Baptist should be very happy about that. Yeah, yeah, a lot of times. Now, some people will ask to maybe be rebaptized, and that's up to a bishop whether they do that or not. Um, okay. But if, if you've been baptized and you're received by chrismation, which is kind of equal to confirmation in the Catholic Church, it's an anointing with some oil, and um, that's, that's how you can be received. Um, if you, if you have never been baptized, you're going to do both. So, it's okay. Um, and, and we do baptize infants, um, uh, and we actually chrismate infants, unlike the Catholic church, which waits until children are older for their confirmation. Um, we go ahead and baptize and chrismate infants and start communing them, um, after 40 days, um, you know, based on Jesus's words of, you know, you know so for the little children, the children to come to me, you know. The children are part of the church, too. Um, We don't see a reason to keep them away uh, if they decide, you know, when they're older to make different decisions. That's that's something later. But, you know, when they're children, we're not going to keep them away from the church. So Um, so you're either if you decide you want to be baptized, um, then you would become a catechumen. And we still have the catechumen just like they did in the ancient church. And that can last anywhere from depending on your where you're at in your life. It could be a few months or up to a year long or even more. Some people choose. Um, So uh, generally, catechumens used to um, become catechumens at the beginning of Great Lent um, with an expectation of being baptized um, either on Lazarus Saturday or Holy Saturday. Lazarus Saturday is the day before Palm Sunday when Lazarus was raised um, or Holy Saturday the day before Easter. Um, so typically, one of those two days is when baptisms occur. Uh, they can happen any time, and for children, we baptize all year round. But um, for catechumens, generally, it's then or maybe before Christmas. They'll use the fasting time before Christmas to to study and become catechumens. So there's some you know time spent as a catechumen where you're doing serious study. Um, probably weekly meetings with a priest going over everything in the faith, going over the creed, making sure they understand the creed. Um, at the baptism, there is uh, there, you recite the, the Nicene Creed. You also may be asked to reject some teachings from your previous faith if they're found to be you know, incompatible with orthodoxy, um, like papal infallibility or something. If you're a Roman Catholic and you're converting, you have to reject papal infallibility. Um, you know, so things like that. And what would you uh, have to reject from uh, Protestantism it, it really depends on what your background is um, I do know that you have to reject Calvinism if you're coming from that <laughs> and uh you know there there are several things from uh, Calvinism as Calvinism
1: destination
2: exactly yeah okay so it, it, it really it's it's tailored sort of to your background um, you know with, what it may be that um it's not as much about rejecting, but as, as affirming that you are willing to be subject to a bishop, you know, or something like that, um, that maybe your, your previous church didn't teach that, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, and so there may be things to affirm as opposed to reject. But um, the main thing that we reject at our baptisms is is, uh, is that you, re, you renounce Satan and, right. um, and all his ways and everything previous. And so... Um, as a matter of fact, in, in the Orthodox baptism service, you spit on Satan. Mm. It's, it's part of the service. So, it's um, yeah, so you decide you want to do that. You study, you meet with a priest, and um, over a certain period of time, and then you would be baptized uh, or chrismated. Um, and then you are then a full member of the church. You can partake in any of the sacraments, communion, um, or you know, you go to con- we go to confession. Um, you know, marriage is done within the church. Um, ordination is one of the seven sacraments, which is, you know, reserved only for certain people. Um, you know, not, not everybody's going to be ordained in their life. Um, but, uh, the other ones are all, you know, for everyone. So those, those are all the things that come with that kind of membership. It's, um, it's not necessarily a, a signing up for it and paying some money kind of thing or anything like that. As a deacon, you were ordained. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're, it's a laying on of hands by the bishop, um, you know, in, in the special service.
1: All right, one more question, I'll let you go, because this is well, sure. fascinating. To tell you the tr- truth, I, I I may just have you do this again, because uh, <laughs> I, this, is, this is really interesting. And now, well, sure. I want to go and visit again, mm-hmm. now that I understand things so much better. So... We're coming up on the holidays. Mm-hmm. We're we're uh, uh, we're recording this in early November. Right. Tell me what the holidays are like for Eastern Orthodox.
2: Sure. So we, um, like I mentioned earlier, we celebrate twelve um, feasts, uh, twelve what we call the great feasts, and those are the feasts of the Lord um, and of uh, His Mother Mary. So, um, and uh, the, the, our church year begins September 1st, kind of like the Jewish years did, um, and our church year begins and ends actually with Jesus, with with Mary, with his mother. September 8th is the first feast of our of our year, and that is when we celebrate the Nativity of Mary or the birth of Mary. Um, there are three three Nativities celebrated in the Orthodox Church: um, Jesus Christ, uh, Mary, and John the Baptist. Um, so we celebrate those three births. Um, in in our church, so Mary's is first September eighth, and then the last feast of our church year is August fifteenth, which is her Dormition or her death, um, which is one of the differences between Orthodoxy and Catholicism. We don't believe in the Assumption of Mary in the same way the Catholics do. Uh, it's we have a different teaching. Uh, so, but our year begins and ends with her because without without her, Christ would not have become a man, and and the Orthodox Church believes that. Um, that Mary specifically is the is the was the chosen vessel it couldn't have just been anyone that that she was a special person that you know it took thousands of years for her to be born for for Christ to become man so that's that's one of the reasons we we set her apart so we begin and end our church year with her um because our salvation begins um sort of with 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 her and her acceptance so that's our first one. Then the next feast we have is actually another feast from her or from her life uh, that's coming up here in November. It's called the entry of her into the temple when she was a child and taken to the temple. Um, and then the next major service feast day is the Nativity of Our Lord, so um, December 25th. And like I mentioned um, earlier, the Julian calendar is 13 days behind us. So some people n- know already that in Russia, Christmas is January 7th. Um, And, Mm -hmm. you know, people know that, and they don't don't know why. It's really only because for things with a date, they use the Julian calendar still in Russia. Um, The Gregorian calendar being used in the Orthodox Church didn't start happening until 1930, and it's mainly only in the United States still and some Western European countries. But a lot of Jerusalem still uses the Julian calendar, Russia, Bulgaria, they always still use the Julian calendar for their calendar dates. Um, so that's why they're different. But uh, we celebrate um, the, the big feasts, like the e- Easter, the Resurrection, um, the Nativity, with with a fast. So before we feast, we fast. And um, we will have a 40-day uh, fast coming up starting November 15th um, that goes all the way up until the day of the Nativity. Um, as a matter of fact, the Christmas Eve is a very strict fasting day for us where where typically you wouldn't eat anything. Unlike um, the American culture of, you know, having great feasts on on um, mm-hmm. Christmas Eve, we spend that day in church. We have three long services on Christmas Eve that are all different. Um, so that's how we would celebrate. So we, we would start a fast. We start singing hymns about the, the nativity um, right around November 20th. We start singing um, some of the hymns that kind of um, – uh, they're like a prelude to the to the feast itself. Um, during that time period, we have the feast of Saint Nicholas, which you know has always been tied with Christmas. Um, but Saint Nicholas was a you know the fourth century bishop, and um, you know we, we he's he's one of our kind of major major saints in, in, in all of our churches. Um, and so we that that celebration is is December sixth. And uh, it's, it's always tied kind of to the nativity as well. Um, and, you know, and obviously it became Santa Claus. So we got super tied to the nativity. But um, we, we do celebrate that day. Um, and then December 24th, uh, on the eve, we, we do several services. We have um, a service called the Royal Hours, which is in the morning, um, where we, again, serve the services of the hours. The first, third, sixth, and ninth hour are, are short services that we do. Um, and then... Uh, we come back and we have a, a liturgy in the afternoon with Vespers um, where we read a lot of the Old Testament readings that um, foreshadow the nativity. So all of the – I believe on nativity there are eight. We read eight prophecies you know, of prophets that, that you know, prophesied the nativity or the virgin birth. Um, that happens in that service. And then we come back that evening, and we have the vigil for the nativity. Where we um, actually, it's an it's our liturgical day starts in the evening with Vespers. So when we do a service the night before, that's actually the beginning of that day. So for us, the feast begins at Vespers that evening on the 24th. And we would, that's all of these services are about two hours long or more um, each. So you've got about six to seven hours in church on Christmas Eve of all different services. Wow. <laughs> and then we would come back in the morning on Christmas Day for the, the divine liturgy. Um, and, uh, we would serve that service. And then, and then most people, you know, in America go off and have the same Christmas day that everybody else has, you know, you go home and you open presents, you have lunch with your family or whatever. It's, it's very similar. Um, some churches will do their Christmas liturgy at midnight so that you have all day Christmas day to spend with your family. But, um, you know, it's, as long as it's done sometime in the morning, that's kind of how we do it. And, uh, we serve three different liturgies in the church. We have the liturgy of St. John Chrysostom which is our, our, our basic liturgy that we serve the most. Um, and you know, your listeners are familiar with John Chrysostom. Um, mm-hmm. We have the Liturgy of St. Basil the Great, uh, also 4th century, um, St. Basil of, of Cappadocia. And it's the same service as John Chrysostom, but each of them wrote different prayers um, for the consecration. And the, so that's the difference is that uh, for St. Basil's liturgy, we say his prayers instead. We only serve that liturgy ten times a year, but one of those days is on the eve of Nativity. Um, so the Vesperal liturgy is for Saint Basil uh, liturgy, and then during Lent we we serve liturgy of, of Saint Gregory um, Dialogos, uh, the the great Saint Gregory, the great Pope of Rome, um, of the Gregorian chant fame. Uh, he wrote the liturgy that we use during Lent, um, which is a liturgy for pre-sanctified. Um, communion that's already been sanctified at a different service. So um, those are the ones we serve, but John Chrysostom's is the most. So we do that on Christmas Day. Uh, But then for us, the 12 days of Christmas are the 12 days after Christmas, not before, right? So um, the feast continues for 12 full days. Um, There's no fasting allowed. Um, You celebrate the Nativity all through those 12 days. Um, There are other feasts that pop up, like the Feast of St. Stephen, the First martyr, is December 27th. Um, January 1st, we celebrate the circumcision of, of Jesus and St. Basil the Great. Um, on January 5th, then, is the eve of the Theophany, or what they call Epiphany in the West. Um, and the Epiphany in the West is a celebration of the three magi. Um, and for us, the Theophany, um, Epiphany means manifestation. Theophany means manifestation of God. Um, and what we celebrate is the baptism of Jesus on January 6th. And um, it's called the manifestation of God because it's the manifestation of the Trinity. Um, Jesus Christ in the form of a, a man being baptized, the Holy Spirit in the form of the dove that comes down over mm-hmm. him, and God the Father's voice from heaven This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. To hear ye him. So that's the theophany, that's the manifestation of God, of the Trinity. And it's tied together with the Nativity. So those two services were 12 days apart. And that, um, with the Theophany, ends kind of that festal season, you know, of, of this time period for us. And then fairly soon after that, we start getting into um, preparing for Lent, um, for Great Lent, which for us is uh, the 40 days before. Um, it's actually 47 days before Easter because Holy Week is not considered part of Lent for us. So we have about 54 to 47 days of fasting that we do before Lent. Or before Easter, um, and with our fasting, it's not complete fasting. It's we fast from certain foods, meat and dairy mostly, and things like that. Um, and uh, Holy Week is the most intense time of our church year. Um, you know, three to four services a day every day of Holy Week, um, starting with Lazarus Saturday, Palm Sunday, then every day um, of Holy Week is a different a, a different theme. Um, the betrayal on Wednesday of Judas. We sing hymns about that um, Thursday, the Last Supper, Friday the crucifixion, Saturday and Sunday the resurrection. So um, Easter service or, or we call it Pascha, the Passover, the resurrection service is our biggest you know, the feast, we call it the feast of feasts. It's the, it's the biggest day of the year for, um, for Orthodox churches and uh, you know, very famously our services are at midnight and um, uh, we have big grand feasts afterwards and it's, it's a very intense week um, of services. But we have fasting periods throughout the year, and we have feasts that carry on throughout the year. We celebrate the entry of the Lord into the temple um, with Simeon. Uh, we celebrate um, the uh, Transfiguration, um, you know, Palm Sunday. All, all of those major events from Christ's life are celebrated as feasts. Um, important days for Mary's life, and, and again, John the Baptist, and then the other saints. So, every day is a feast for us, actually. Every single day of the year has has a saint or a feast at, attributed to it. So, um, you know, whatever today, you know, I haven't looked at the calendar for today, but there are your feasts for today um, that would be celebrated. Saints for every day. Next week, November 13th, is the feast of St. John Chrysostom. So we will have a vigil mm-hmm. the night before, um, and a liturgy that morning, and all the hymns will be about the life of Saint John Chrysostom. So that's that's kind of how we do everything.
1: This has been fascinating, and I, I have to say I feel as a Protestant I'm a little embarrassed. We, <laughs> we
2: don't well, do and, this kind of stuff. No. And, uh,
1: and 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 one question that you you had written down
2: that we kind of that I think we kind of miss is you know what's what do we see? That's kind of what's different. How do we think about our faith differently? Mm-hmm. And it's really that, um, you know, orthodoxy is not necessarily a religion for us or a faith. It's a, it is our way of life. Right. It, it it takes over all aspects of your life every day. It's not just a Sunday only kind of church. You know, as a matter of fact, our Saturday evening service is longer than Sunday mornings. So it's you know we we. Um, and if you have the right church, I'm blessed to have a priest who lives next door and likes to do services. So our church has two services a day every day. Now that doesn't mean everybody's expected to be there every day. Uh, you know, I still um, I don't make it to all of those, but they're offered. You know, the church is always open. You, it's 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 there for you. Um, they call the the church is a hospital. Sometimes they say you know for for us to be you know to be cleansed of our sins and um, it's. It's it's our it's our entire way of life. We fast two days a week. You know, we go to church certain days. We go to confession. It's 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 a lifestyle. It's not just um, so for those who are interested. You know, that that's something that they they come to terms with is that this is going to not just change where you go to on Sunday morning, you know, but it's going to change your entire life. (laughs)
1: I can see that. That is, that is a lot to think about. Sure. <laughs> thank you so much, Dad, well, uh, for taking uh, no, time you. from your your family and sharing with us your life and what it's like to be an Eastern Orthodox. Um, I think it's gone a, a long way. Hopefully, it'll go a long way to mm. uh, mending the fences uh, sure. uh, between us. I love, I love C.S. Lewis's word picture that he uh, writes in um, Mere Christianity, that Christianity is this, is this house, and every denomination is individual rooms. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, we need to get out of our rooms and go into the hallways. And in the hallways, we will meet other believers that mm-hmm. live in different rooms. And that's where fellowship needs to take place. And that's where we need to um, come together and get to know each other and uh, quite possibly influence each other and maybe teach each other from our different perspectives. And Mm -hmm. you have taught me a lot. And I hope you also have taught my listeners a lot. So thank you so much. Oh, sure. Anytime. Anytime. I hope you have all enjoyed hearing this interview. As Christians of different flavors, we need to talk to each other more, love each other more, try to understand each other. God is not shocked and dismayed with all our denominations. The Book of Nature teaches us that He loves diversity. We see amazing diversity in the plant and animal kingdoms. It should not surprise us that Christendom also enjoys this diversity. When we sit down like this and openly talk about our differences, we will find insights and nuggets of spiritual truths that we would never learn if we stayed inside our own denominational echo chambers. I encourage you to leave the safe confines of your denominational circles and get to know different types of Christians. If you're enjoying the Soul Anchor podcast and would like to automatically receive the podcast every time I upload an episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button soul anchor podcast is also on twitter facebook and instagram i would love for you to get on facebook and tell me what you think of these past episodes with dax if you are enjoying the podcast tell others about it and leave a five-star review because that will allow the podcast to get more recognition in the community till we meet again